I want to welcome all those that are here for the first time. We, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people. We're all on a journey to follow the only perfect one, Jesus Christ. And I hope you feel welcome. We have coffee in the back again. Hope to see some of you at Discovery afterwards. Taylor loves to talk about the hard questions that you can ask me. I may or may not know the answer, but I love being put on the spot, hence what I get to do for a living. So I uh, hope to see you over there. We are in the middle of a series called Heaven on Earth. We are looking at some gifts that Jesus is talking about right before he ascends into heaven. Luke chapter 24. He's bringing these heaven, uh, these gifts down from heaven to earth so that we can actually give them to those around us. What would it look like if earth looked a little bit more like heaven? That's what we've been talking about, because these gifts uh, not only promise, promise us what heaven will look like, but actually the storyline of the Bible at the end talks about heaven fully coming down to earth. So we'll actually live here. Some of us growing up, we learned that all we have to do here on earth is say yes to Jesus so that when we die, we go to heaven. And that is true. But we, if we only live that way, then we actually miss out this mission that God wants us to live out here on earth, which is to bring heaven down to earth. And it's exciting and satisfying and fun and full of adventure. So we have been looking at these gifts according to what Jesus has been telling the disciples in Luke chapter 24, again, right before he ascends into heaven as they, those are the disciples, were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, he appeared to them for the first time and he said, peace to you. That's the first gift that we looked at two weeks ago. We learned that we have peace when we believe that we are children of God, that we are totally forgiven, that we were created on purpose and for a purpose. When we believe that, that brings us peace. So Jesus came to bring us peace, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. The second gift that Jesus brought from heaven to earth was the gift of healing. See, we have pain here on earth, but we are promised full healing when we are in Christ, either when we go to heaven or are fully healed, or we can actually be miraculously healed this side of heaven. And the purpose of our pain, therefore, is to glorify God. We looked at that last Weak and uh, to recognize that he is close to the brokenhearted. And in our pain, we can experience Jesus's nearness in a way that we take for granted when we're not in pain. And then we also share our scars. We do what Jesus is doing. We, we say, hey, me too. Not only did God comfort me, but now I also get to comfort you as you go through this hard time. That's the second gift of healing. Let's keep reading and see what third gift we will be talking about today. Touch me and see me for a spirit did not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And this is the gift that we're talking about today. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. 
They gave Jesus something to eat. And it seems to me that the disciples had a nostalgic moment at that time. Any of you have nostalgia? Often you drive by a street that you grew up in and then all these memories, good or maybe bad, come rushing through and and you start connecting the dots. I really believe that they had a nostalgic moment in this time when they were giving something to Jesus and they remembered a time when Jesus gave something to them. My friends, this morning we're going to talk about God our provider, Jehovah Jireh. He always provides. And it's cool here. We're kind of going at the end when, when, when the disciples give back to God. But let's talk about this scene in Luke chapter 9 when, where God gave some really cool things to the disciples. We're in Luke chapter 9. In verse 1, and he, Jesus, called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to give you the very, thing, very same gifts that we have already talked about. I want you to proclaim the kingdom of God. I want you to tell people that I am their father and that they are my children. I want you to tell people that I have come to forgive all of the sins of this world, that I have come to give you a purpose. And I want you to heal. So he's sending them with these gifts. And he said to them, take how much? Nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. How many of you came out the door this morning and thought, I need two tunics? Because turns out you need two uh, layers in the summer in Texas. Crazy. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, Depart and whatever they do not receive you when you leave them, that leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So God gave them this gift from heaven and they exercised this gift down on earth. And what were they seeing? They were seeing people healed and they were seeing people receive Jesus, can you imagine the stories that they were sharing at the time that this man with a crippled arm or, or a broken foot came to them and they laid hands on him and, and man, they were healed in the name of Jesus. That they're These people that were oppressed by these evil spirits and they cast them out in the name of Jesus and they saw the oppressed become free in Christ. Can you imagine the stories in the energy that was buzzing through the disciples at that time. I hope that you've experienced some of that in this life. The point of this story, though, is that it doesn't take much for them to forget. The disciples are just like you and I. We forget that God is our provider always, that he will always be enough. Let's keep reading. In verse 10, it says that on their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them. Jesus took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, it's really cool. This town called Bethsaida, this is a place where we know that Jesus' friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus is the friend of Jesus that Jesus rose from the grave. He, he normally would go there, and it's not in the Bible, but it's probable that he went there to rest, to hang out with his 
friends. And so he brought his disciples, these 12, with him. But the crowds, they, they heard that Jesus went there and they followed him. Jesus has no days off. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. So he told them, hey, I came to give you uh, everlasting life, to forgive you of your sins, to give you a purpose. You are my children and uh, cured those who had, who had need of healing. But the day began to wear away. It got late. And the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. Today, in our context, it would be like, hey, uh, Jesus, these people are in Wimberley and it's 7 p.m. and all the restaurants are closed. So we won't be able to have food for all of these people. And, and so they got to go somewhere because we ain't going to feed them. They got stingy. They started getting worried. They started disbelieving. Like Jesus was enough. You hear what I'm saying? See what happens next. But he said to them, Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we were to go and buy food for all these people. But you know, I guess H-E-B is at least open. For there are about 5,000 men. This is not even counting the women and children. Remember, they just healed people in the name of Jesus. They just brought people to the, uh, into a relationship with Jesus. And here they are questioning Jesus. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and he gave to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. What was going on in the disciples' mind before Jesus used them to perform this incredible miracle. I think it was that they, like us, sometimes have a scarcity, scarcity mindset. We don't think that God will provide. We don't believe that God will come through. That God will be faithful to give us everything that we need, even though we've seen him do awesome things in our life. Jehovah, Jireh. This poverty mindset is the fear of not having, which causes us to hold on to what we do have. So instead of give, you know, instead of saying, all right, Lord, I'm going to give uh, what I have to you. And then you're going to multiply that. Instead of doing that, we say, no, 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 there's not enough. And so I'm going to hoard. I'm going to keep. I'm going to take. And this is at the root of our human problem that dates back to day one. Adam and Eve, what happened? They had everything that they needed. But what did they want? The one thing that they could not have, the tree from that forbidden Fruit. And so they took matters into their own hands. They disobeyed God, did not trust that God's way was better. And then they introduced death 
and pain and suffering into this world, and you and I do the very same thing. We don't believe that God is enough. But the beautiful solution is that at his core, God is a giver. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. He gives. He, it's, it's, very, it's at the very core of who God is. He is a giver. And so the solution to having a scarcity mindset is having a mindset of abundance in a God who has everything that we need. He's talking about giving, you may think. Pastor, talking about giving, I gotta hold on to my wallets, or thank God I left my wallet in the truck. Good news, bad news. Good news is that it's not only about money. I'm talking about our energy, our attention, the things that we are pouring into, all the things that we are giving towards. This is holistic. The negative is it absolutely has to do with money. Did you know that over 2,300 verses in the Bible talk about money? Four times more than the Bible talks about faith. Why? Because it's at the very center of our experience here on earth. And God is on a mission to bring heaven on earth. And so he wants us to invest not only on the things here on earth, but also in heaven. For what reason? Glad you asked. So that our loaves and our fishes are multiplied. So that the people around there can see, whoa. There is a God that is alive in this life and is using normal, average, broken, and perfect people for his perfect purpose of anybody out there. God is enough. Uh, we are stewards. So I want to talk this morning about four principles of stewardship, and then I'll close with a story from the Old Testament. We uh, are stewards, and a steward manages another's property. That's what we do. Uh, it's all from God, and, and we just steward the resources that we have here on earth. Stewardship is utilizing God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-given results. I'll read that again. Stewardship is utilizing God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-given results. Stewardship is the proper management of my life in order to enhance God's kingdom. Stewardship involves our talents, our gifts, our abilities, influences, and expertise, and money. It is holistic. In Romans 12, one, Paul writes, therefore, in, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We don't give in order to receive. We give in view of God's mercy. We give because he first gave us. That is the abundance mindset. God has given me so much, therefore I give. It's also what happened at the very beginning of the church. We read this in Acts chapter 2, that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. Four principles of how to have this abundance mindset in our life. The first one is this, the who's in charge principle. 
Am I in charge or is he in charge? If we are stewards, we believe that he is in charge. And in fact, uh, the more we have, the more uh, is required of us because we are stewarding more of his resources here on earth. Psalm 24, first two verses, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters when King David later is uh, uh, financing the building of the temple. His son Solomon is going to build it and he is praising God for what's about to happen. And he says this in 1 Chronicles 29, 10, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty in the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Maybe for you, this is the principle that we need to take to heart, that you were born where you were born and to whom you were born to, to have these resources so that you can give them to God. The reality is all of us sitting here live in the great state of Texas and the best country in the world, the United States of America, and we are a blessed people. The entire world has been blessed by the efforts of the church in the United States of America for the last hundreds, a few hundreds of years because of the money that has blessed church planting and missionaries. And we've seen the gospel go to places where they've never gone to because of the obedience and the giving of the local church in the United States. That is something that is beautiful and that must continue if we are to call ourselves disciples and followers of Jesus. We are blessed to be a blessing. So that's the first one. He's in charge. I'm just a steward. We, maybe we, that, that, that's it. <laughs> we just need to chew on that, leave here and be like, I really need to think about this because if this is true, then it has some implications. The second one is the cheerful attitude principle that stewardship is about loving, not giving. It begins with loving and then it produces giving. Second Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that word cheerful. I love when someone uh, gives cheerfully. Uh, I've been on the receiving end of so much of your generosity. Uh, my family has. I can't tell you as a church how generous we have been over the years, and that's because we recognize how much he has given to us. When we sow seeds of generosity in our hearts and in our minds, we will bear the fruit of generosity. It's directly correlated. The more grateful we are, the easier it is to give. There was a Spanish proverb, I think it was, outside of my house growing up. Saw it every time I went in to my house, and I'm grateful that my parents put it out there. It's not from the Bible, uh, but it says this. I'll say it in Spanish, and then I'll translate it. Para ser feliz en la vida, 
No es necesario tener todo lo que uno quiere, sino querer todo lo que uno tiene. To be happy in life, it's not necessary to have all that one wants. Instead, to want all that one has. When we focus on all that he has given to us, whew, that is a powerful exercise that breeds cheerful generosity. Because it really doesn't matter how much. Some of you are generous, incredibly generous, proportionally because you give from the depths of your heart, like this woman that Jesus makes an example of in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. This lady, this widow, teaches us how to have an abundance mindset, how to give cheerfully. Because after all, again, he first gave to us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was Lord of all. He has all the resources on earth. Yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. Love asks, how much can I give? Can't give enough. How much can I give? But a poverty, scarcity mindset asks, how little can I give? It's actually legalistic when we think that way. I just want to do the bare minimum. I just want to check off the box and move on. Instead of, Lord, I am overwhelmed by how much you have given me. I'm going to give cheerfully. My friends, I am preaching to the choir this morning because we do this so well at Cypress Creek Church. Let's continue to give Cheerfully, the third principle is the big shovel principle. This one's fun. We cannot outgive God. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When we imitate God's benevolence, we will receive even greater benevolence from God. And again, this isn't only money. This is used, this has been used historically in the church concept to say, give and you will be blessed. No, 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 no. We're imitating the great giver. We're thanking him for giving to us and we're giving back to him as a response. In Malachi 3, 8, 12, he, he, he uh, talk, teaches us a little bit more about this concept of tithe, which literally means in Hebrew, one Tenth, Malachi 3, 8 through 12 says this, Will a mere mortal rub, rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? God said, in tithes, in the, in, the, in the tenth and offering, you are under a curse. Your whole nation is the nation of Israel in the Old Testament because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food 
in my house. Important here. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The concept of the tithe is important because the church, the entity, this organization is to be a storehouse, is to be the place where people don't just give to, but through. You don't give to the church, you give through the church so that we, the church, can give outside of the walls and meet the needs out there. Did you know that 10% of our budget as a church family goes outside of the walls of Cypress Creek Church? The other keeps the lights on. The other pays for us so that we have time to do the work of ministry so that we can put on a free kids camp so that we can feed our kids in the summer that are outside of school. That is the mission of the church is not only to be the recipients, but to be the vessels that God uses to bless our community. That is why we give to the church. Fourth principle, the who has who principle. And this one's huge. Until God is control of my life, I am out of control. Our culture has finances backwards. Our culture says spend first. Americans on average uh, save 3%. So you would save uh, second uh, or, or maybe pay the bill second and then save third. Again, only 3% of us will save. And then finally, we give God our leftovers. And, and, and who is that focused on? Is that focused on God first or is that focused on me first? That's a me first attitude. God's way flips it. We give God our first fruits. We give God our first 10%. We say, God, it's yours anyway. It is a pleasure. And I'm cheerfully giving back 10% of what you given me thankful that I get to use the 90% to take care of my family and have some fun on the way. We, we give first and then we save and then we pay our bills. And then lastly, we spend. That's God's way of spending. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, those who trust in the riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. James three sixteen for where you have envy and selfish ambition. And doesn't that uh, define how we see our finances here on earth. There you find disorder in every evil practice. Until God has control of my life, I'm out of control. Matthew 6, 19, 21. I'm going to finish with a question and then I'll um, share one last story and we're done. Jesus says, don't stir up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Sorry, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be a question for you and for me this morning is where are we storing our treasure? Is it on heaven or on earth? A better uh, way to maybe ask that question is when we go to heaven, where will our investments show up there or will they rot down here? 
Are we investing in furthering the kingdom of God here on earth? Or are we just investing into the temporary things here on earth that once we go, we'll waste away or our kids will underappreciate and give away? Where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. Some of us need to go home and, and check out our uh, uh, finances. See where our heart is. We may not know. This is a great opportunity to check that maybe some of us need to look at where all of our time is going. Your phone has an amazing way to track how much time you're spending on your phone and what you're spending that time in. It's called, uh, uh, someone help me, the Screen Time app. Look it up. If you have an iPhone, you have it. If you have an Android, I don't know. So look that up and see where, where, where you are spending your time. God cares about what the things that we are investing in and in the end, the disciples are giving back to God by feeding him in his resurrected body. These loaves and fish that God used them to multiply and feed the people. Last story, and then I'm done. Genesis 22, we read the story of Abraham. Abraham asked for a son. He asked for uh, something that he wanted so badly. He asked the father to provide him a son so that he could be a Father and God came through. He gave him two, and Isaac was the promised one. And, and then God asked him to sacrifice, to give away the very son that God had provided. And if you like me, read that story. You're like, that sounds weird. Why would God ask somebody to sacrifice their own son? Abraham put his money where his mouth was. In verse 4 of Genesis 22, on the third day, Abraham looked up. And saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Keyword, we. Abraham had an abundance mindset. He knew that God provided for his son once and God will provide again. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he carried, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place, God had told him about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear, revere God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. Could you imagine the joy that he felt when he was sacrificing that ram? So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh, and to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Here's the thing. Some of you 
need to know this morning that God will provide. He will provide financially in your life. He will provide you with that job that you are waiting for. He will provide you with your heart's desire in one way or another in his perfect timing because he is faithful to provide. Jehovah Jireh. And if you need some extra inspiration, remember that Abraham's son Isaac was spared, but Jesus, God's one and only son, was not. He was given up for you and for me. And that's how he has modeled this nature that he embodies, that he is the God who provides. So how can we give back? That's how I want to ask you. He's going to provide. We get to receive. How is he calling you to give? Let's ponder that as we leave this morning. If you're able, let's stand up, pray together, and we'll close in worship. Jesus, we're grateful that you tell us to not worry about what we will eat or drink or wear because you take care of the sparrows and the lilies and how much more do you love us? And so this morning, Lord, wherever we are in relationship with you, I hope that we can look to you as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. The Lord, you Will give us, you will satisfy, and whatever you give will be enough. And Lord, I pray that we will respond to you, respond to your generosity in our lives by being generous and giving back what is already yours so that we can see amazing things happen here on earth, heavenly things here on earth.